politics. Help us to put our trust in you. Help us not to want the old normal back, but to put our trust in you and step out boldly with courage and faith into what's next. Because you hold the future. God, as Eric comes, will you anoint him, empower him as your messenger? Good morning, church family. Good to see you now. Good to see you all. I hope you guys are doing well this morning, continuing our Luke series. I hope you guys are enjoying it. If not, lie to me and tell me it is good. I don't care. Uh, Yes, that's one time your pastor always say lie to me. I'm kidding. Good to see you guys online as well. Hopefully you guys are doing well. Got a cheer section back there. I like it. I like it. That's right. Hey, listen, you guys need to have the same kind of energetic level right there as they do. I'm going to be disappointed in this crowd today. That is hyped right there. Hey, so I need you guys to help me today. Uh, We're going to practice something. I'm going to say something real quick, and I want you to repeat after me because it's going to be a theme all throughout the sermon, okay? I can relate to that. Ready? I can relate to that. There you go. There you go. We're going to start off, as I like to do, with a question kind of discussion, but it's going to be a little different. I'm going to read a list of stuff. And you guys are online or you guys in person with the people you're around. I want you to say whether or not you can relate to that once I read it off, okay? Say it out loud. Look at the person next to you. Well, I can relate to that. If not, just kind of look at them and just go, you can relate. To, I don't know. Anyways, same thing. You guys online, I want you guys to do that. That'll be a very interesting, I think, discussion. So here we go. You ready? First one right here. When I'm bored, I eat food. I can, yeah, I can relate to that, right? I can relate to that. Uh, after eating one healthy meal, I think to myself, I wonder how much weight I've lost. I can relate to that, right? Like, I've done well for myself. I often did that burger I had yesterday. Uh, here's one for me personally. Hopefully I don't lose any fans here or any support. When it's really cold outside, I like to pretend I'm blowing smoke. Anybody? Anybody? You particular? Come on. You, I, I'm not encouraging it at all, but it's like, hey, what is this? Okay, uh, maybe not. Uh, Ian, this will be at home close to you, I think. At some point in your life, you've tried to see if you had superpowers. I, cannot, I will bet my pex paycheck that Ian at some point tried to see if the force was in him or not. Uh, I'm willing to bet that. So anybody, okay, I, I can relate to that. Um, here's one I'm finding as I'm getting older. Uh, laying in bed in the middle of the night awake because you don't want to get up and go to the bathroom. Anybody can relate to that where you're laying there and you're like, I know I need to get up, but I don't want to get up. 
If I don't, it's going to be miserable. Or uh, that awkward moment when you have to cough and it's dead silent and you're scared to cough. Or you're scared because, like, I don't want to be accused of COVID right now because of cough or anything. Um, next one. Oh, this is definitely one. I still do. It is a kid and I still do. I'm showing my childlike nature. Trying to open the fridge as quickly as possible to see if you can open it before the light comes on. Thank you. Yes, yeah, see if you got that ninja-like reflexes. Nope, not quite there yet. Okay. This one definitely hits home for me because my wife was a former gymnast and stuff, and so watching the Olympics is a whole different thing at our household. Me watching the Olympic, Olympic gymnastics and saying, whoa, that's amazing, only for the announcer to say, another devastating mistake. <laughs> Anybody? In other words, I have no idea what's going on here. It looked impressive, and it was like, that was horrible. Okay, sure. Or here's one maybe you can relate to right now. When the person next to you should be saying, I can relate to that, but they're not. Anybody? Anybody? Or here's maybe a better one. The person next to you saying, I can relate to that, and you realize that they really don't relate to that. Um, there's something powerful about being able to say, I can relate to that. Even more so, having someone in your life that can relate to what you go through. Uh, me and Ian, just the other day, we're talking about it. We, we, staff, we have the blessing through a thing called Edify Ministry. We have pastor coaches that meet with us so often, encourage us and coach us. And uh, I'm meeting with another pastor in UConn, and I was telling him, I said, just how, how big of a blessing to have someone that just is another pastor. I mean, and, and it's, it's hard to describe. Having someone I can talk to, and it's an unspoken thing, they, they understand what I'm going through. And as much as people come and try to encourage me, and I appreciate the encouragement, there's just always just something like, well, you just don't, you don't fully understand, right? And, and me and Ian were talking about, because I was talking from a youth ministry standpoint, I said, there's just something about someone coming talking to you, and it's like, until you've been a youth pastor, you, you just don't fully appreciate that's like me saying, talking to Emily, like, I know what childbearing, like, you know, I, I know how difficult, like, I can't relate to that. And, and yet her talking to other people is being, there, there's this moment, there's something that's, it, it's that ability, that power to, to feel and understand the in, un, indescribable, right? There's power in that. I say that because it ties into what we're, we're looking at today and what we're processing, uh, that uh, relatability, because Luke Luke, we're trying to process and look through Luke to say, who is Jesus according to Luke? Not what we want him to be, not what we want to ascribe him to be, not what we want to make him up to be, but literally according to how Luke describes him. And the big idea I want you to see today is a very important biblical truth that you need to understand about Jesus is this, is that Jesus is relatable. Jesus, with all sincerity, can look with us, can sit with us and say, I can relate to that. I understand what you're going through. It's an aspect of Scripture that is so big and profound to wrap your mind around, and a more theologically sound thing might be to say this, that Jesus, Jesus was the God-man. In other words, he was 100% God, and at the same time, and no different, at the exact same time, he was 100% man. He dealt with the same struggles, same challenges, all the different natures that we as human beings deal with, and at the same time, still having the same nature as God. As a matter of fact, the, the, the theological term is hyperstatic union. It's, it's two natures wrapped up into one person. Let, let me give you some scripture to understand. Just walk through some. Uh, let me just show you some passages. Just read some off about how fully human Jesus was. In John chapter 4, verse 6, it talks about Jesus being tired. It says he went on a long walk and he got tired. He, he didn't magically have the you know, uh, forever distance running ability and never get tired ever. Like he, he got exhausted, got tired. Even at one point, he was on a boat, and the storm was going crazy, and disciples were freaking out, and where was Jesus? Sleeping. Jesus slept just like me and you did. Now, I'd probably snore a little bit louder than he does, but we, 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 he slept just like me and you did. 
John chapter 19, verse 28, talks about Jesus on the cross, and he cries out, says, I'm thirsty. Would someone give me a drink? He thirsts just like me and you did. Luke 2, verse 42, talks about Jesus as a kid growing up. It says he increased in wisdom. Jesus had to spend time learning and processing, just like he just didn't magically, like osmosis, like it come across. Now, students, I'm, I mean, I, I've been in high school and college, and I literally prayed to Jesus that I could put my forehead on my science book. It would magically materialize my mind without having to read it. It never happened for me, and it never happened for Jesus either. Like, he had to spend time growing in, in, in nature and growing in understanding. Mark 3, 5 talks about him getting angry and sad. Like, he had people, critics that criticized him, and he got angry with them. Can you, can you relate to that? Like, you know, like, I'm just frustrated by how they act, and I'm sad that they're acting this way. Even at the point in Luke 22, it talks about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, and he cries out to God and says, God, is there any way this cup can take from me? And it talks to him about being a sense of agony and so stressed out that literally he starts sweating like drops of blood from his forehead. Now, now he's completely human, but at the same time, he's, he's completely God. He still has the same character as God. He's omnipotent. Like he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. He has the power to have 5,000 people and says, you're hungry, bring me some loaves of fish, or some fishes and loaves of bread. And he feeds all 5,000. Like, how does he do that? Because he's, he's omnipotent, just like God. He's omniscient. He, can, he knows all things. As a matter of fact, when Nathaniel comes to him, he says, Nathaniel, I heard what you were thinking about me at that tree right there. Like, that's something me and you cannot do. He, he's eternal. At one point, he says, before Abraham was I, I was. He has the eternal natures of God and all those sense and all the same situation going on. He's omnipresent. At one point in Matthew 28, 20, he says, I am with you always to the end of age. He's in all places at all times. He can forgive sins. Can I tell you something? We can't do that. Only God can do that. He has all the nature of God. All this to say, and at the same time, he's still one person. As a matter of fact, John 14, 9 says, Anyone that has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Like at all at one time, he's the same person. John 10, 30, last one, the Father and I are one, he says. Now, let me just say this. If I read this off, that he's completely God, fully God, all in nature, fully human, yet one person, if you're confused, welcome to the club. It's a big club, okay? Don't, don't worry. It's something I don't think we're supposed to fully comprehend or, or wrap our minds around. As a matter of fact, one pastor I love once said, he said this, said, finite minds cannot fully comprehend an infinite God. And to be arrogant enough to say that I can comprehend all aspects of God and wrap my mind around it and grasp hold of it is a little bit of arrogance on our part. And there's aspects where as much as I give illustrations, try to explain it, you're just not going to fully comprehend. There's an the aspect of faith. And the world tells us, well, if you, that makes no sense. Someone can't be 100% this, 100% that, and all that at the same time. Listen, there are aspects that just because we can't explain it doesn't make it not true. Let, let me illustrate like this, and we'll jump to the text. Now, imagine this imperfect circle I'm drawing here represents all the knowledge there is. All that has been found, all that will be found, all the knowledge there possibly is. Now, I consider myself a semi-bright man. I have a bachelor's degree and master's degree. And so if I were to say, where would I fall on this spectrum? I would fall right there. And that is an overestimation, so you can actually see it on the screen up here, okay? That is where I fall right here, I'd probably say. Now, my wife is much brighter than me. She graduated summa cum laude, and I, I think she's probably at least double what I am. And so here, here she is, uh, falls the knowledge, all the knowledge be found. The brightest guy I ever met was a guy named Dr. J, was with the Creation Truth Program. He came to our church at College Heights one time and came and spoke to us and just talked about, he was literally a certified genius. I don't know you get certified as a genius. They haven't knocked on my door anytime soon, but apparently you can. 
And he came, and I mean, it's just, the, the knowledge he had was just unbelievable. He's just unpacking science and scripture and all sorts of stuff. Now, now that, that's a pretty good representation of people I know. And again, I'm just guesstimating what it is. Now, all the knowledge that we've discovered so far in the world, may, maybe it's about this much right here. Imagine that. That's what we've discovered. This represents all is yet till to be discovered. I'm saying this. Do we have enough faith to believe that in this realm there are places of aspects of God that not even we have comprehended that we haven't discovered yet? Now, now I'm saying this. It takes a lot of faith to believe this, but it also takes a lot of faith to reject it, right? And so just because you can't explain or fully wrap your mind around something doesn't mean we're just saying you need to have faith. It's saying there's still a possibility it exists. God was 100%, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But today we want to talk about the relatability of Jesus and what that means to us. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at one of the most relatable situations in Jesus' life he deals with. And I want to expose some situations in this part talking about how Jesus relates to us. And then more so at the end we're going to talk about some application about what this actually means, why this is important, how this is significant. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to ultimately end up reading Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 28. We're going to break it down in sections to, to, to kind of process it together. So start with me in Luke chapter one, 4, verse 1 through 2. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. There's a lot to unpack here. Jesus just got done getting baptized. And in the baptism, God literally breaks through the sky and says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. I mean, it was a miraculous moment. Imagine yourself, confidence in your identity all of a sudden. And that validation, you are who you say you are. And God gives a stamp of approval. And he leaves on what we would call almost a spiritual high. And immediately after that, where does he go? In the wilderness to what? Be tempted. But who took him there? The Spirit took him there. It's crazy. Often we think, man, like God does not want us to go near that stuff. God wants to stay away. Like, listen, God cannot tempt us, but God also doesn't lead us away from trials and temptations in our life because he wants us to be groomed and be pushed into who he wants us to become. The Spirit leads him there, and he immediately goes from a spiritual high to a crash course of spiritual low. The best I can equate this, when I was a student minister taking kids to Falls Creek, it was exciting to see kids come back just on fire for the Lord. Thursday or Friday, man, they're making the commitments, they can't wait, and they're making all sorts of stuff. But I know, not even Monday, not even Sunday, but Saturday, when they get home Saturday afternoon, they're going to be hit with temptation and trials like they've never been hit before. The real world's going to slap them right in the face. And so that proof is in the pudding of what decision they made, whether it was really real or not. Can, can I just say something like Jesus, Jesus, just like us, faced spiritual highs and lows. Can you do me a favor again? Can you say, I can relate to that? Jesus dealt with it. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that where you go and do something and you're like, man, God, why, why isn't my life just always a consistent roller coaster high that goes around? Just I know it'd be boring, but it'd be comfortable. Jesus didn't escape that. He faced the exact same thing. And even when he comes out, he goes and he's being tempted for 40 days and he doesn't eat. And what I think is the most understatement of the century is what it says. Jesus ate nothing all the time, and what happened? He became very hungry. You think? I go 10 minutes without a meal, and I get hungry. That's why I haven't preached on fasting up here, because I know it would be a horrible example, a litmus test of what this looks like. 40 days he does not eat, and he becomes very hungry. Sometimes does Jesus get hangry, or is it just me that does that? You know what I'm talking about, where you haven't eaten, and suddenly you start lashing out at everyone. And everyone starts quoting the Snickers commercial. And you're just not you when you're hungry. Eat a Snickers, you know. Betty White, or whatever, you know, like starts giving it to you and stuff. I don't think Jesus does because of how he handles himself. 
truth I'm trying to get at is Jesus deals with the same things we are. Not only does he deal with highs and lows, but he also has physical needs that go unmet. He didn't just miraculously, like, I'm not hungry. I don't deal with starvation. I don't deal with food. Like, he has physical appetite needs that go unmet, just like me and you. Can, can you say with me? I can relate to that. Jesus dealt with that sort of stuff. And he goes, and he begins being tempted. And what does Satan do? Attacks him where he's weakest. He gets him alone. And look at verse 3. It says, the devil said, if you are the son of God. Isn't that such a profound statement? Immediately attacking his identity. He just came off a situation where God said, this is my son, whom well pleased. And the very first saying, Satan comes to him and says, if, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Which is a big statement right here. You haven't eaten for 40 days. If I hadn't eaten for next day and you said, make the speaker into a, you know, a, a McDonald's cheeseburger, I would be trying to zap it into existence right then and there because that's how I'm wired and stuff. But what does Jesus do? But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over, over them. The devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you'll worship me. He's like, listen, what's coming someday, what God has promised, this worship, this deliverance, this, this, this glory, I'll give it to you now. You can escape Gethsemane. You can skip all that if just right now you just give me some glory. You just take a shortcut right here. Imagine that. Imagine your most difficult life and situation coming and saying, like, listen, I can, I can pass right by that. Abraham was given the same situation where God says, I'm going to bless you, make you a father of many nations. And his wife kept getting older, and he kept getting older like it's not happening. What do they do? Come to a point and says, we just don't believe God's going to do it. And he goes and has him sleep with his, his uh, maidservant, and they have Ishmael. Completely causes a thing that can't be undone. But Jesus, I love what he says. He responds back. The scripture says, you must worship the Lord God and serve only him. And the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God... The scripture says, uh, says, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt a, your foot on a stone. He's again attacking his identity. He's like, if you're really who you say you are, God would not let you die. Because if you died, God's plan couldn't be fulfilled. So here's a true test. Jump off and let's see if you're the real deal. He's attacking his identity immediately. And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus responds, the scriptures also said, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting him, he left him until the next opportunity. Notice some things that Jesus' temptations and Satan's strategy. First, Satan always comes when we're alone. Doesn't seem to be that way. When we get isolated. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, once said this, talking about Eve. Said, Eve got in trouble when she walked in the garden alone. I have my worst temptations when I'm by myself. Satan's number one tactic you will always see in your life is to get you isolated and separated because you're easy prey to pick off. Which makes this season even more challenging than ever where the world has put us in situations where we don't even feel comfortable walking up to one another or dealing with whatever. And indifferent to what it is, it's a situation where we constantly have to work, say, how do we keep community? You guys online, same thing, because you're easy prey when you begin to isolate yourself. And Satan comes and begins to use these tactics. And what tactics does he use? He attacks our appetite. You're like, well, I'm not always hungry. It's not always a physical appetite of hunger. Sometimes it's an appetite of more, of excess, an appetite of being accepted, being liked. It's an appetite of wealth. It's an appetite of something. He attacks that appetite. And if he can't get that, he attacks God's authority and says, well, if God really loved you, he wouldn't do this. If God, God has a, I know this way, but let me give you a different way. You can be your own God. That's what he told Eve. Like God knows if you got this, you, you would be just like him. You don't need his authority. Do it yourself. And if those two fail, can I tell you what he comes to next? He comes after your identity. If you're really the son of God. If you really are who you are. 
Like, there's no way God could love you. Look at how bad you are. You can't even get basic Christianity right one-on-one. You can't even spend a day not sinning. You can't even do this. There's no way God, he attacks our identity and makes us doubt. He attacks all these things. Know the schemes of the devil. And Jesus gets attacked on things that we get attacked with and we have failed, but he doesn't. That's the one thing he can't relate to us is failing to sin. But he deals with temptations just like me and you. The truth of temptations is this. Temptations always promise a better way, but they never deliver. They always promise something better than what we think we have right now, but they never deliver. And not just that, when Satan comes, how does he come? Look at verse 10. You think you're safe. He even brings scripture to the table. He uses God's own word to try to take away and cause him into sin. How often in our world nowadays, we sit here and hide behind scripture and say, we think we're safe when we really don't understand how many people have misused and abused scripture for their own agenda that has nothing to do with God's word. It saddens me, because I can tell you something, you can proof text anything you want in this Bible. You take it out of context. That's why we take the whole counsel of Scripture. Can I tell you a truth that might scare you, but you've got to be ready for it? Satan knows better Scripture, more Scripture than you ever will in your entire life. He knows it better, inside and out. And he'll quote it at you, and he'll get you to misread it. He did it to Eve. That was one of the first things. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really do? Did God really? He'll use God's Word against you. And it's important we take time and interpret Scripture well and find out, because Satan will come at us and do this. Why does he do that? Because Satan knows how to attack the enemy. I think of this. My brother in high school was in debate, uh, which means he loves to argue, if you don't know what that is. He, he was in debate, and that's what he did. And I remember talking to my brother as he was getting ready for a debate tournament, and I asked him what he's arguing on. I, I'll be honest, I don't remember the topic. But as we're talking, he spends the whole time not researching his stance, but his opponent's stance. He spent more time doing that. And I said, Brandon, I said, don't you need to be studying this? He said, no. He said, a good debater knows their enemy's stance better than their own because you can use it against them. Can I tell you something? Satan does exactly that. He knows how to take God's words and twist it and turn it to fit his agenda and what he wants it to be. And so you got to be on your guard and be get ready. And Jesus dealt with these temptations. He deals with these temptations just like me and you. And so you see a spiritual high and a spiritual low, and you think it's over, and he comes out and he's done. But look at verse 13. Sometimes we think Satan only came once to Jesus, but it's not true. Since when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, what happened? He left until the next opportunity came. When was that? We'll keep reading. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out. I made it through the valley. I'm coming back up on the spiritual high. Man, life's are good. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in synagogues and was praised by everyone. He's suddenly getting affirmed by everyone. Man, you're doing a great job, dudes. You're awesome. People are like, would you come to our church and preach? Man, he's like, yeah, I'm doing a good job. And immediately, man, I'm feeling good about myself. And then he goes home, which is so sad, but so true. He goes home. In verse 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, and he went to the usual synagogue on the Sabbath and stood to read scriptures. He goes to his home church. He goes and sits in the front pew where he always sat. There's an old guy over there that, you know, man, I used to talk to him all the time. I remember him all the time. Man, I surely go home and get the affirmation support. But what happens? He gets up and he begins to preach. He begins to preach, and he opens the scripture and reads a scroll from Isaiah, a text out of it. In verse 18, this text says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim to the captives will be released. The blinds will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the tenant, and sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, and he says this, The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his mouth. But then some said, how can this be? 
isn't this Joseph's son? And immediately people begin questioning his identity, begin to attack him. Satan uses people that he loved and been around his whole life to doubt him. Man, this is the homeboy hero. Who do you think you are? In verse 28, to the point they chase him out of town. Literally, it says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Junking up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Imagine going to your hometown and expecting to get support from the people you love the most, and instead they reject you and talk about how horrible you are. Like, who do you think you are? To the point that they literally take you to the highest point they am, trying to push you off a cliff. Can you imagine for a second what's going on here? Can you imagine the roller coaster ride Jesus is going on right here, constant up and down? It brings us to the truth you understand that Jesus also felt alone and rejected just like and tempted. Can, can you say with me, I can relate to that? Have you ever been rejected by loved ones in your life for what you believe? Have you ever been doubted or felt doubted about your identity and what's going on? Have you ever been tempted to point and been rejected and felt alone in your life? Listen, Jesus understands exactly what you've been through, and he's gone through all that stuff. He understands how you feel. Our big idea is this is Jesus is relatable. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Because something about having someone that knows what you've gone through is, again, that indescribable, that feeling, that understanding of, you know what? It doesn't have to be said. It's just understood. And you say, well, why does this matter? Why do we need to hit this truth home? Why is it so important that you wrap your mind about the humanity of Christ, how Jesus is relatable to me, how this has influenced my life? First and foremost, let me say this. Jesus' relatability affects us like this. It gives you an example and a guide. By Jesus going through what we've gone through, it gives you an example and a guide. Hebrews 2.18, I won't read it, but it talks about how Jesus, because he was tempted like me and you, is able to help us when we're facing the same temptation and trials. Jesus is what I like to describe as this. He's a trailblazer. Every year I get to go with a group of guys up to Red River, New Mexico, and we ride four-wheelers and up and down the mountains and do all sorts of crazy stuff. And I'm not going to lie, there's often situations where we're about to kill ourselves being guys. And I don't know if you've ever heard this enough, but when you get a bunch of guys together, the IQ level goes down. And that's very true with our group. Very true. And we'll be going, uh, riding four-wheelers through the mountains and stuff, and we'll stay on the trail, and we'll hit the spot that, man, that looks like something fun right there. We're not sure if that's safe to go on. And without a doubt, we'll have about eight or nine of us there, and we'll look back and go, hey, Rodney, Rodney's our trailblazer. He's had the most time on a four-wheeler, and we trust him. And so we send him to the front, and we're all scared for him. We're nervous. I've seen him roll it once or twice or six times. And he goes up here, and he hits the spot, and he goes across, and he paves the way for us, shows us how to do it, and goes across. We're all like, yeah, Rodney, you know, challenge, cheering for himself. And the next person goes, and they look down at his tire tracks and follow exactly where he goes. And the second guy, well, yeah, yeah, you're going. And by the time he gets to me, number eight, because I'm the coward of the group, they're like, all right, Eric, everyone's done it. Come on now. Follow the trail that's been paved for you. Can I tell you, Jesus, being a relatable human being, he has paved a way for you for how to make it through life. Every temptation, how to live a holy and sanctified life and according to God's word, Jesus paved the way so you can look down the tire tracks and say, how do I do this? And then you can follow the trail. The question is, are you following? Do you keep your eyes on the leader, or do you do your own thing? Jesus has paved the way for us. Second thing I say is this one's important, because it also gives you empathy. It gives you someone who understands your plight, understands what's going on. I love Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, and talks about because Jesus was tempted and tried and went through stuff like this, he understands, he gives mercy, he's with us in those situations. Jesus knows what you're dealing with. I don't know if you know this about me yet or not, but one of my spiritual gifts is not pastoral care. I'm not good at it. As a matter of fact, my wife right now is laid up at home. She threw out her back on Friday. She can't walk. And Lord help us if she gets stuck like that forever because I do not have the gift of mercy. I'm like, tough it up, buttercup, let's go, you know. I, I'm just not gifted with it. 
And I learned this very early on. I was like, I, I, something I'm working with, God's grooming me on. But I remember my first church I served at, I served with a pastor named Larry Sparks. He was a chaplain at the hospital. And he would walk into rooms where literally people are dying. They're literally dying. And he just, he just had an, a, a gift just to walk in. And I went and shouted at him for two weeks just to see if God maybe might groom me in this. And after two weeks, I said, nope, not, not going to happen. Like, this is not. And I remember telling Larry, we sat down after my two weeks of following him as a chaplain. I said, Larry, I don't think I can be a pastor. I don't think I can be a youth pastor because I, this is just not a strength of mine. And he told me this. He said, listen, Larry, here's what you know about pastor, pastoral care. You don't have to know what to say. All you need to do is this, just be present. That's all that matters. If you walk in a room and you don't know what to say, just, just, just be present. You are someone that's died or is hurting. Let me tell you something. Just, just be present. Can I tell you why this is important? Because God doesn't sit up on his throne as an armchair quarterback coach and saying, hey, guys, this is how you should do it. No, no, you're doing it wrong. Philippians 2 talks about he literally left his throne and came down to be beside with us and just to put an arm and say, listen, I understand. I get it. When I picture Jesus, when I physically, when I visualize Jesus, forgive me for this illustration, but I can't help but think one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. I love the movie. You have these characters, William Wallace, who's leading this brigade. He's on the front line, leading the people, saying, follow me. I'm with you. I'm doing this. He's the one spearheading everything going on. And you have the opponent, Sir King uh, Longshanks, on the other side, King Edward Longshanks. He's sitting in the back, letting people fight his battles and saying, you guys figure it out. Jesus Christ is a trailblazer running ahead of us and saying, listen, I'm here right next to you with you. And it's that soft comfort that he doesn't have to say a word. It's just the fact that he's there and he can relate to me. But too often we don't understand that aspect of God, that he loved us so much that he left his heavenly throne so that he could be with us and comfort us in times of need. Jesus paved the way. Jesus empathized with us. But last but not least, most important, why is Jesus relatable and important is this, it gives you salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ coming to this earth as a human, giving his flesh and blood, living a perfect life, paying the perfect sacrifice, that could you achieve salvation. It's the only way. God couldn't do it from his throne. It would not happen that way. It has to be blood. It has to be sacrificed for it. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17, listen. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Only this way could he free all who live their lives as slaves of the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be paid and made in every respect like this, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That's the God you worship. That's the Jesus we're talking about. Now, we don't ever want to separate the godly nature of who he is, but we also need to fully understand the humanity of who he is. Jesus is the God-man. And he can relate to you. Jesus is relatable. Now, I don't know where you're at right now. So, some of you are dealing with stuff right now that no, no one around you understands. But can I tell you, Jesus, Jesus can understand. And there comes a point that you have to come and look to him and say, am I going to trust him and believe that Jesus is going to help me through this storm? I want to do this. I want to do something weird. Can we do, can we do that? Where, where you're at right now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to do this for me. I want you to picture yourself before Jesus right now. I want you to say this to him out loud. I want you to say, respond, answer this. Where do you need Jesus right now? Say it to him. Jesus, I need you. Fill in the blank. Jesus, I need you in my marriage. I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the week. 
Jesus, I need you with my kids. I don't know how to be a good parent. Jesus, I need you at my work. I've lost my witness. Jesus, I need you in this struggle because I can't, I can't get out of this rut. Jesus, I need you in my pain right now because I've lost someone or I'm hurting so bad. Jesus, I need you. What is it? Say it to him. Say it to him. As you're sitting before his feet, I want you to listen. I want you to picture this in your mind. After you've said this, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Jesus looking at you and saying this. I can relate to that. Hear him saying it. I can relate. I'm here. I'm here. With your head bowed, eyes closed, I just want to read a passage over you. I want you to hear the words as I read it. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. See, this priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I understand. Father God, I know there's people in this room that are hurting or struggling right now. God, you didn't sit on your throne from a distance to say, figure it out for yourself. You left your heavenly throne, sent your only son to be a person, to live a human, just, just to say, I understand. And God, I know there's people in the sound of my voice right now that need to hear that. God, encourage them, inspire them, let them walk away with this indescribable feeling that there is someone in their life that understands and cares for them, so much so that they gave everything. Not only are you relatable, God, but you are our salvation. You have paid the price. You've bought the ticket to get us to where we need to get that can help us to overcome all those things so that we didn't have to. God, let us turn to you. God, I know Satan's attacking many of us right now, trying to attack our appetite for something different, your authority that there's a better way, there's a different way that I can do my own thing or my identity, that I'm just not good enough. But God, help us to see that those are not uh, attacks that we're going to fall to. God, let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our, Christ, of our faith in Jesus Christ, who paved the way for us. God, I love you, and I know in this season I struggle with this very thing I'm talking about, but God, I, I want to look to you and just know that you're with me. And I pray others would be encouraged by the same thing. God, I pray if there's anybody that sound my voice has never put their faith in you, I pray they'd come today and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. And come to find the joy of the salvation that I've found and that others in this room have found. I praise you for being faithful. I thank you so much for being present in this very moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.